Hello, good morning, good afternoon. Episode 35 of the world famous It's a Monkey podcast. And I am coming to you live, well, not live, sort of recorded live. Um, from Friday, from from Friday, the, Friday the twenty first of February, two thousand and fourteen. Actually, my mother's birthday, so I can wave and say happy birthday to her. And coming semi-recorded live or recorded live from Vancouver, Canada, is my my co-founder and uh, the resident genius, James Peter. Um, good day, and I don't. What's the local saying in Canada, James? Um. Sorry, <laughs> let people seem to say sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I said I was chatting to actually a um, a friend I met on um, when I was at a uh, on holiday in Hawaii a while back, and she's from Canada, and uh, um, we're both into nutrition and food. And she was saying, "Yeah, you know, if we if we ever our pals have a crush, she'll she'll cook me one of her signature dishes." So I said, "Oh, why don't you cook me a traditional Canadian dish?" And she's, she was like, oh, there isn't really such a thing unless I just add maple syrup to everything or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, a lot of their menus here seem to be very similar to Australian, except, yeah, a lot more maple syrup and things like elk and that, you know, the, the animals you get up from up in the mountains. So it's a bit major difference. So at the Brazilian barbecues there, they have, they have elk, do they? Probably elk and buffalo and that kind of stuff, yeah. Nice. Well, um, anyway, it's episode 35 of the It's a Monkey podcast. We have a cracker of a show for you today. Later on in the show, we are talking to Peter Cohen. Um, he's the author of Hungry uh, Startup Strategy, and he also writes, he, he blogs about the tech economy for Forbes um, website. And um, we chat about all things relating to the stock market, the outlook for 2014. Facebook shares, Twitter shares, um, you know, obviously a lot happening on that side of things. I had an, a great chat with him um, yesterday. So we'll be talking to Peter Cohen. As usual, we um, have some news items coming up. Remember to tweet us, uh, Monkey Podcast, email us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for, for all the support to date. James, it's been a huge week for the tech startup world. So much going on. I mean, uh, the, the publishers of Candy Crush are listing. Um, I think it's called King's Media. And the numbers from Candy Crush were just astounding. Turnover of over $1 billion for, for Candy Crush, a profit of $500 million, And they are going to be listing on the New York Stock Exchange. Do you, do you play Candy Crush? No, I've never played it myself. Um, I know a couple of people who do. I kind of see it on Facebook, you know, people posting stuff about it. Um, I've, I've tried to stay away from it myself. Uh, one of the interesting things actually I've noticed over here is you actually get sort of ads for stuff like Candy Crush on TV, which is quite wow. interesting. I see it. Yeah, yeah, you actually see Candy Crush and they bring out some sort of new game as well and that's advertised here, you know, as, as from the makers of Candy Crush, there's this new game coming out. Um, so, yeah, it's very, very big business. I was chatting to... Um some of the team in the office yesterday about Candy Crush and uh, yeah, they had a similar attitude of like, I don't want to get started on it. So it's amazing how addictive these games are. How do they make their money? Is it, is it by levels or unlocking things or virtual goods? What's their business model? Um, I don't know for sure, having not played it, but me, my guess would be um, the way a lot of these um, these sort of addictive games run is you get to play a lot of it for free, um, and in order to kind of get a bit of a boost up or unlock certain abilities, you can pay a little bit extra to get things a bit faster. Um, it tends to be sort of the the way a lot of these free to play games operate. You know, you can still if you if you really want to be um, 
cheap. You don't want to pay anything. You kind of get everything eventually, but, you know, you can kind of take years or whatever to unlock certain stuff, whereas if you pay a dollar, you get a bit faster. So, and they, you know, they can make an awful lot of money that way. It's fascinating, um, that games world. I mean, I'm not across it at all, but it's, it stands me to, to make that amount of money um, is, is incredibly intriguing. I mean, that brings us to our next story um, about Flappy Bird. Wow, what, what an interesting story um, this is. Tell us about the, uh, what's gone on with this game called Flappy Bird. Yeah, Flappy Bird's been really interesting. It's sort of, um, it's, it was actually quite a small game that this um, indie developer called um, Dong Nugan, I, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, wrote. And I think he wrote it quite a while ago. It was created um, about mid 2013. And it's kind of been sitting around in the App Store. It hasn't really got, you know, much traction. It's basically just a very simple game where you basically tap, tap a screen in order for your bird to go higher or lower. And you basically try and avoid some pipes that are at the, at the top and the bottom of the screen and uh, it's also notoriously difficult as well it's like you you often die within a few seconds because it's just so hard to play and anyway i've been sitting around in the app store for um for quite a while without getting any kind of traction and um just recently i think just over the past two weeks or so it, you know a few people started pointing out on social media um it blew up on youtube and reddit and a few other places and uh and yeah there were there were lots of people using it um lots of people um uh, basically producing ad revenue as well because the game was free to play uh, but I believe it had ads on it um, so the there was ad revenue coming through the maker and yeah there was kind of this whole story came up because it blew up so quickly and a lot of people became frustrated with it because of just how hard it was and um, and the creators just come out and said um, he's had enough of it and he's actually just pulled it entirely from the App Store. So it's no longer possible to get it through um, either Apple or, or through Google Play um, because the creator felt so bad that so many people were using it and um, becoming, becoming addicted to the game, I guess. So it was one developer and you said he was out of where? What country was he out of? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I it wasn't... Um, it wasn't uh, the U.S. or I think it was um, maybe the Philippines or somewhere like that. I'm not entirely sure, but um, yeah, he was he was basically just making uh, making these games for fun. In fact, I think he actually had a uh, when he created this Flappy Bird game. It was just something he created. I think he was trying to do create like two games a day or something crazy like that. So he was trying to sort of create very simple stuff um, without you know really trying to make a business out of it. And this one thing blew up, and um, and yeah, he made lots of money out of it. And and I guess he just felt so bad about it that he decided to pull it. And you know, it's not often you see that really that people become successful and then kind of feel so bad for their success that they, you know, they stop making money <laughs> from it. It's, yeah, that's it's absolutely yeah insane. It's it's uh, he was Vietnam based. Um, oh, was it? Yeah, right. Vietnam based, and um, so he just. Um, he just pulled it because he felt bad. People were getting addicted to it. Yeah, that, or he that's, couldn't that's come out. Or he couldn't he evolve the game. Um, yeah, basically, basically, what he said recently was, um, uh, but it, but it happened to become an addictive product. Um, I think it, uh, I think it has become a problem, um, and to solve that, he said he had to remove it forever. 
basically because he thought it was you know causing uh, too many issues for the people actually playing playing the game. He said um, his life hasn't been as comfortable as it was before, and he couldn't sleep. So yeah, that was his that was his solution just to to remove it entirely. It's a, you know our industry is incredible for people that are passionate about the industry with a with success being often just a byproduct of their passion. And I mean this is really a classic I mean extreme example where he's just. It's too much hassle for him, and he just removes it. I mean, what a what an what a lost opportunity, though. There's sort of you know the the entrepreneur in me seems is just what a lost opportunity to package this and go with the momentum and just cash out and why not type thing. You know, it's, I mean, it's it's really remarkable. Yeah, it is quite remarkable. I mean, admittedly, some of the story. I mean, it was kind of like it was a moderate sized story. Um, you know, as it became popular, but it became a really big story as soon as he removed it, uh, which is the kind of the irony of it all. Um, because, you know, as soon as people can't get something they want, you know, or can't get something they, they would have liked to have tried, then suddenly it becomes much more desirable. So, yeah, even people were actually reportedly actually even selling um, iPhones and um, other devices that already had the game on it for thousands of dollars, like $3,000, I think there were bits up on eBay. Uh, for these devices because it came so popular it's like um it's like when artists and publishers die it's it's always unfortunately often a, a great career move for them yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's it's interesting it'd be an interesting kind of sales tactic if he does you know reverse it and you know a week later and bring out something else it could actually be you know a genius marketing move <laughs> i don't suspect that's what he intended yeah although i mean you know he owes no one anything there's nothing stopping him from coming back and going okay well i've taken another about turn maybe he's just a marketing genius or an, an unintended marketing genius yeah very possibly um, before we get on to the, the, the story of WhatsApp, which is the huge story this week, just uh, there was an interesting protest in Japan outside the Mount uh, Gox um, exchange. Run us through what's, what's going on in the Bitcoin. Uh, there's always a controversy so going on in the Bitcoin world. Yep, yep. So we've got our latest uh, Bitcoin controversy, which is um, so Mount Gox, which is uh, which basically was the largest Bitcoin exchange, had recently um, ceased trading, really ceased uh, allowing people to withdraw Bitcoin from uh, from their exchange, and um, it's kind of a complicated situation. That basically they were blaming the Bitcoin protocol for having um, some issues that resulted, some bugs which resulted in them um, not being able to track transactions correctly. Um, other people come back and have said that Mt. Gox was, you know, these were sort of known problems with the protocol and they were just implementing it the incorrect way. Um, so anyway, the the long story short is basically there was the, uh, through sort of an exploit that um, Mt. Gox allowed to happen, uh, there are a large number of transactions that, that occurred that um, that were basically invalid, that people were allowed to kind of uh, spoof a whole bunch of transactions. And because of the scale of it, they had to shut down uh, withdrawals entirely. Um, the problem is people still don't know a lot about the situation. They haven't been very transparent about it. And um, it's really not clear how much money they've lost or, or whether people are going to be able to actually withdraw their funds at all. Um, so, you know, people who are sitting on sort of, you know, the equivalent of half a million dollars or whatever, there's, there's no... Um, 
there's no visibility as to whether they'll actually be able to get that money back at some point in the future. So, yeah, so this has been going on for, I guess, about a week now, and some people have actually taken up to sort of standing outside the, the offices in Tokyo of Mount Gox and, um, and protesting the, the whole situation, trying to get some, some more visibility for it and, and trying to get the company to speak out because um, they've just been dead silent about the whole situation. Look, James, I, uh, you know, we love talking about Bitcoin and um, I, I like to, whenever I talk about Bitcoin, I really like to separate the, the currency component from the platform component because I think they, they're worth considering separately. But I think this is a great example of why checks and balances in the financial world exist. I mean, it's pretty scary stuff to, to have money tied up that you can't access and, and, and you can't go to any anyone with the accountability and, and get your money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's sort of really fundamentally hurt Bitcoin as well. It's, it's Bitcoin's trading at almost half its value uh, before all this happened. So it's really, it's really, uh, I guess, hurt the core of the currency. People have realized, you know, <laughs> that these these um, issues do fundamentally affect the the value of um, of, of what people can do if, if they can't trust the even the largest ex- exchanges like this, um, you know, it becomes a real problem with, you know, who who can you trust then if you if you don't have um, any kind of regulation in place, um, and yeah, particularly if you're sitting, you know, if you if you're trusting sort of half a million dollars or, or or whatever you have, trusting you know huge amounts of money to so these individual providers, um, you know, sometimes you can start out with a very little bit and you can can grow it and you can kind of forget the real risks that exist um you know because it is so new as well and they're trying to discover stuff as much as um as much as other people are um but yeah no it's it's a very interesting situation don't put your life savings in bitcoin no although if you were going to now would actually be a pretty good time since it's trading so low (laughs) i i still it's uh yeah it's it's the wild west man it's uh you know, our financial systems has have evolved from, from from people getting burnt. You know, every time, and it iterates and iterates. So, but I, look, I, I, I'm all for um, you know the protocol and the platform and what will emerge out of there. But uh, I, I think I think um, it needs to mature somehow. But anyway, interesting times for Bitcoin. But what I want to get onto is this massive WhatsApp story, which is just really incredible. I mean, WhatsApp um, um, has been bought by Facebook for. Um, the number seems to be bouncing around. It seems every time I read a new story, it seems to go up. You know, first it was 16 billion, then 19 billion, and now there's apparently another 3 billion for the for the staff. So now it's gone to 21 billion. Uh, whatever the wow. case is, it's 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 one of the largest um, you know acquisitions. I think the previous lar- largest acquisition was um, HP buying Compaq um, in 2001. Um, I'll just double check what they. Um, what they bought compact for but it's it's definitely one of the largest acquisitions you know you know in in history uh, of the tech sort of side of things and definitely in in recent history um yeah hp to buy compact and 25 billion dollar deal that was in 2001 so i mean that 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 certainly still um, trumps this one but this is you know james some of the numbers are, are just remarkable i'll just re- read some of the the numbers about this this deal so um 19.56 but this is from um it's from one of the forbes um sorry the fortune bloggers um he's pretty good uh, dan 
um, Dan Prumack. If you're interested in everything stocks, he has a great daily newsletter um, that I read. $19.56 billion, the amount that Facebook is paying for WhatsApp based on today's opening stock price of $67. By the way, interestingly, the the, the market liked this acquisition, James. The uh, Facebook, um, it started out the day it actually dropped, so people were quite nervous and did some profit-taking, but then it came back and actually t- touched $70, which I think might be a new high for Facebook. So overall, um, at the moment wow. at least, the, the share market, which I, as a Facebook shareholder, I was a bit nervous. I was thinking, you, you know, the, the WhatsApp story, um, before I get into some more of these numbers, what's interesting, you, you know, James, that I find is with Twitter and Facebook and and Google Plus and even Instagram, there's a social graph. There's that networking effect. There's that timeline. You know, to replicate all of that is incredibly different, but for it's incredibly hard. But for WhatsApp as a one-to-one messaging service, I mean, the switching costs are essentially zero as as i mean there is the networking effect of everyone's got to be on the same platform and and network but it doesn't have that extra layer um of social graph so i mean to have something that's intrinsically so valuable is 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 i was worried that it's actually there is the switching costs are too low and the premium is is far too high paid for something like this yeah you may, may be on something there actually it's it's kind of ironic you mentioned that the switching cost stuff because um just um just because i've just moved to canada and um i actually do use whatsapp quite a bit and uh now that my phone number's changed because i've moved to canada um the funny thing that whatsapp does is it actually um it, it asks you if you want to change your phone number which i thought you know i'm of course going to do so so i did that and then it actually kind of revokes your access to all your existing uh communications um and because it's all kind of tied to phone numbers um there's no way to kind of get that back unless i was to reactivate my phone on the on the old number again um so yeah it is it is a very different system it's very it's very tied into mobile um you know into in ways that a lot of social networks aren't tied in um and yeah i guess that does make it make it quite brittle yeah so but I mean, if you look at these numbers and the growth numbers, um, so they paid $19.6 billion. Um, interestingly, and this is the key to why it's probably got pushed to these crazy heights, uh, apparently a couple of weeks ago, Google offered to buy WhatsApp for $10 billion. Um, so, you know, there's obviously it was a bidding war. It wouldn't surprise me if there were even more than two partners in this bidding war. So $10 billion, Facebook, you know, maybe just they really needed to keep this out of everyone's hands. I think if, if Google or Twitter um, got hold of um, WhatsApp, that they could have built something around that that could have been a real threat to Facebook and they just needed to, it was a strategic buy. Um, 35%, that's how much of Facebook's cash is being used for this deal, um, which, is, yeah, which, which is crazy considering most of the transactions done in stock as well. So, so even though most of it's done in stock, they're still putting in a huge amount of cash. I mean, we're a small business that manage Flutter, but if I think of 35% of our, our cash, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, real, it's, it's a real number that. Um, Interestingly as well, very unusually, they've only had one investor to date, which is the very famous Sequoia Capital. And um, they've put in $50 million um, to date, or 50 to $60 million um, in total. So that means that uh, their their stake is between 3.2 and 3.6 
billion dollars now you know venture capital funds are usually happy if they get a 10 times return on investment so they would have been happy of putting in 60 million dollars and getting a return of 600 million dollars instead they have got 3.6 billion dollars so uh you know this isn't just a home run it's uh wow it's uh it's it's onto another planet so um, the founders of WhatsApp are really interesting. You know, one of them was a, uh, a Jewish Russian migrant that came with his single mum and, and lived on food stamps. And one of the photos that they posted was actually signing this deal outside the building where he used to go and collect food stamps in San Francisco or in Silicon Valley as a youngster, yeah, as, a, as a 16-year-old. So. You know, you have to hand it to America. You have to hand it to Silicon Valley. I mean, these type of stories, not many countries could you could you really go from from rags to riches in that way. And good on them. That's what that's what I say. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fantastic story. Yeah, it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. The success of WhatsApp, I think, and um, yeah, no, it's just it's amazing how the the tech industry sort of can throw up these kind of curveballs like that. And and importantly, both of these founders of WhatsApp were rejected from Facebook and Twitter um, for jobs. And one of them is actually oh, really? the tweets are still up there from two thousand and nine. Um, and I'll actually read his tweets from 2009, um, which, you know, let's face it, is not, not that long ago um, mm. where he had nothing or he had left Yahoo and was looking for a new gig. And he said, um, Facebook turned me down. It was a great opportunity to connect with some fantastic people looking forward to life's next adventure. That was from one of the founders, Brian, Brian Acton, um, 4th of August, 2009. What? What's their background? Do you know, are they developers or developers? Yeah, developers, ex Yahoo developers. Um, oh wow, oh, ex, very interesting. Ex Yahoo developers, and um, I'm looking at you know what makes this company so extraordinary. I'm looking at um, growth in users of social media companies on their first four years of existence. So if you take from year zero to year four. WhatsApp beats all of them. WhatsApp after four years is 419 million users. Facebook after four years is only 145 million users. Twitter after four years is only 54 million users. And Skype after four years is only 52 million users. So WhatsApp is 419 million users after four years. So you can see the growth. I'm looking at a graph of this. The growth is just, I mean, no one's touching it. So this this, you know, this is what's been so so valuable, and this is why companies have been, you know, Google and Facebook have been fighting over this this half a billion user base already, and um, you know, with half a billion users and engaging actively, a large proportion of them um, engaging actively daily with this app is incredibly inc incredibly valuable. You know, twenty billion dollars or so valuable. So, an, an amazing story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost unbelievable in some ways. <laughs> Almost unbelievable. And I'm sure you regret not uh, accepting that job offer with WhatsApp, oh, you know, all those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but look, I mean, it's. Bit of stock there would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Look, you know, it's, it's good for the industry that the, these stories and, and the velocity of, of, of progress and, and, and user numbers is, is so you know fantastic i've i've got a brother that's interested in property and um you know when he looks he said to me this morning he sent me a text so you're basically saying that these founders are now richer than frank lowey so um you know and frank lowey is an established um um you know he 
owns Westfield Properties. It's the, the largest shopping center company in the world. And he's, he's in his 80s, I think. And he's built this company of blood, sweat, and tears over many, many years. And after four years, these guys are richer than Frank Lowy. And it's like, yep, you know, that's, that's our industry. It's what makes it so crazy and so exciting. And um, so, so, wow, it's, uh, you know, everyone's, everyone's talking about um, the WhatsApp um, acquisition. So let's see where the, where's Facebook take it. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I'm going to keep using it. <laughs> well, um, it's probably the, it's actually probably the social network I actually use the most. Not that it's really a social network, but, um, funnily enough, it's probably the, the way I communicate with my closest friends the most. How often, how many times a day do you use it? Um, normally sort of somebody starts a conversation that, you know, it tends to be sort of a bit bursty. So somebody will say something and then, you know, the conversation will follow from there. So not sort of every day, but, um, you know, particularly if everybody's out and they want to share photos or, you know, there's some sort of event going on that they want to share with other people, then it's, it's great for that kind of stuff. I don't know, maybe because I was such an early Twitter user and such an early Facebook user, I'm, I'm so embedded in both of those platforms that I just, these other tools just, just can't get onto my daily sort of radar, even WhatsApp, Snapchat, um, even Instagram, it just somehow it's, it's Twitter and Facebook for me, just, just a part of my daily staple, but these other tools just somehow don't get that visibility in my daily life. Yeah, I, I think the reason why it's so um, why it's been successful in sort of my group of friends, at least, is because it's got such a low barrier to entry. Um, I mean, even Facebook and Twitter, that it's still, you know, there's a little barrier there in order to actually sign up and 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 do things with them. You kind of got to build your social network and fill out your profile and understand the concepts. Whereas WhatsApp, you know, it, it just works immediately. It's just, you know, it's like texting. It's just you've got all your contacts there already on your phone. You can just immediately start conversations with them and you know, groups of people who who already exist on your phone. There's kind of no new social network being created. You just run the app and then that's it. It's just um, it's got such a low a barrier to entry than any other messaging app or any other network that's existed before. I think that's really the the key as to why it's kind of being able to spread uh, much faster and um, much more broadly than some of these other other networks have managed to so far. Yeah, I think that's a that is a very valuable point. You just it's, it almost just seems like a different type of text messaging app, and everyone's familiar with text messaging. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it, it is really. It's just text messaging, just a little bit better than it was before. And a lot of WhatsApp growth, and that's why Facebook, another reason that they're interested in is international. And even so, um, you know, in the value, a lot of people don't even use WhatsApp or even know of WhatsApp. I, I'm, I'm going to read just one or two tweets relating to to this WhatsApp story. Someone tweeted, I, you know, uh, because people are saying, I, I don't even, haven't even heard of this and um, it's sold for $20 billion. Someone tweeted, I didn't know about WhatsApp before. It was cool not to know about WhatsApp. Um, <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, someone else tweeted that um, Facebook just bought WhatsApp for nearly the NASA yearly budget. That is why we can't stop asteroids from destroying the planet. <laughs> so, yeah, the, and here's another tweet. Some perspective. Uh, market caps of companies. Netflix, $25 billion. Tesla, $23 billion. Macy's, $19 billion. I mean, these, these remarkable, iconic um, brands. WhatsApp, $19 billion. Whole Foods, $19 billion. Gap, uh, 19 billion sony 18 billion united airlines 15 billion so it's 
you know, it's easy for us to get caught in, in the numbers and they sort of lose meaning, but it's, it's, wow, it's, it's, this is real substantial stratosphere valuations for, for, for an app that's four years old. That's amazing. Do you know how many employees they have? Yep, they have about 50 employees, which is about another fascinating <laughs> fact. I mean, the leverage, the leverage, I mean, we, you know, we got a fraction of their users and we got, you know, about eight-ish employees, but the leverage is, is remarkable, 50 employees. You know, they, they, you know, they definitely on the quirky end of the scale, they, they don't have um, um, signage in their office because he says that's just an ego thing. He doesn't believe in marketing because he says that's one of the founders that kicks up dust and distracts from the product. Um, so they, you know, they're really real purists. And whilst it's interesting to, to see this approach, as someone tweeted today um, about that aspect, I wouldn't I wouldn't beat that no marketing drum too loud for WhatsApp. Only the extreme outliers can do this. Everyone else, you better hustle and sell. So um, you shouldn't extrapolate it too far. But it's you know it's true that Google, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp haven't advertised you know i mean now i think you know google might do a bit of stuff and you know they um and you mentioned candy crush is doing something in the states there but generally you know the the super normal growth happens by just um, virality so it's a uh, fascinating times of fascinating um industry and uh, weeks we lucky that we're right in the middle of it absolutely yeah exciting times Exciting. Um, you're listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter on the It's a Monkey podcast, episode number 35. Um, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be talking to Peter Cohen after the break, who's the author of Hungry Startup Strategy. He's also a blog blogger about all things relating to startups and tech um, for Forbes. So stay with us. Um, and uh, if you're listening, which you obviously are, um, you can... <laughs> hope so <laughs> it's been a long week um you can tweet us or email us so we'd love to hear from you um we'll talk to you after the break the it's a monkey podcast is brought to you by check dog use check dog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors broken links and broken images all with the push of one button CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back with Kevin Garber and the It's a Monkey podcast. Now, you know, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, we talk a lot about the tech stocks and the stock market. The stock market being a very important component of this um, capitalist society that we're in. It allows tech founders to have liquidity events where they can cash in some of their hard work for money and allows some of their investors to cash in um, some of their investments and get returns on money. It allows them to, to raise more funds and um, provide liquidity and uh, to um, employees as well. So uh, it's quite a fascinating aspect of the capitalist market. And um, on the end of my Skype line, from Boston, Massachusetts, I have uh, Peter Cohen, who's the author of Hungry Startup Strategy and also a blogger um, on Forbes around everything startup, around everything tech startup. Peter, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Peter, I'm not sure if you've seen the news yet, but Facebook has announced that they're buying WhatsApp for a whopping 
16 billion dollars yes i just saw that a few minutes ago and uh, i was blown away because i've never even heard of what what's up and i said why are they spending 16 billion dollars on it so i felt like writing i felt like immediately writing a column called what's up with what's up <laughs> you know because like i can't i can't figure it out i guess it's some sort of a mobile app but i mean that's just an amazing amount of money to spend and i guess uh most of it is is in stock, um, so I think something some like three billion is in cash, and the balance is in stock. But still, I mean, that's uh, I don't know what they do, but I don't and I don't know why they're worth sixteen billion dollars. But uh, good good for them. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, look, it's um, WhatsApp is one of these really interesting messaging apps that's been around for for a few years that has sort of replaced text managing text messaging, um, and. And Facebook has tried to um, copy WhatsApp in, in many shapes and forms, and they haven't succeeded. So they've obviously d decided just to uh, use some of their, their, their stock. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's about um, three or four or five billion cash, and the rest is in stock. But it's a massive acquisition that. I mean, that is, that is a lot of uh, value that WhatsApp yeah, needs they to just sort of they just sort of slipped that in there. You know, this after you know, the late late in the day after the market closed, and it's like that's a big that's a big number. WhatsApp are famous for being quite stealthy in that there's not much all that much known about them. They have they are on record saying that they um, have always been against advertising, and I think their model to date has been um, an annual a small annual fee for, uh, to use WhatsApp. But um, anyway, uh, that that's an interesting story. But there's a lot been happening this week as well, Peter, with Kings Digital who is the, the publisher yes. of the, the famous Candy Crush, which I've never personally pr uh, played, but they, they've announced that they're IPOing their English co um, company, and they announced that they're IPOing, interestingly, on the New York Stock Exchange. But one thing jumped out at me, and I'd like to know your opinion on this. Um, their profit grew 7,000% in the last year from $164 million, um, to well, I've just lost the numbers over here, but their profits, um, I mean, their profits are just insane. I'll just bring those numbers up again. Okay. Um, yes, um, while, while you're bringing up the numbers, yeah, I did I did see that. And uh, the one thing that sort of jumps out at me uh, about this is that they're picking a perfect time to do an IPO um, and that the people who buy it are very likely to be incredible suckers and they're going to be losing money on it. Um, why do, the why reason is pretty. Yeah, sorry, let me finish. Le, the le, the reason finish. I was going. The reason I think is because um, you can. It's easy to have one successful game, but it's hard to have two in a row and three in a row and four in a row. So it it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is the you know sort of the peak of their uh, of their financial success right here at this IPO. And uh, even though they'll get money, I mean you know there's a, a company that uh, you know Zynga that did Farmville. Um, you know, basically had had one successful game, I think, and they, and since then they've been in sort of deep yogurt, and they haven't been able to you know come up with a new hit. So you know, it's very difficult to can come up with repeat hits in in this uh, industry, and that it, that's what it's all about. You know, people get tired of these games, and you need to come up with something new. Uh, and so I you know I don't think they've proven that they can come up with you know lots of new games that are going to create such massive profit growth. So they're definitely uh, if they can go public. Uh, now they are getting out at the very peak, I think. Um, in fairness, they did address a lot of these risks in their IPO documents where they said that um, there's, there's two big risks. One is they, they're struggling to manage their growth, as you would imagine, a 7,000% profit, which yes. has gone from um, 
from $7.8 million to a profit. So that's a profit in, in 2012 of $7.8 million to a profit of $567 million in 2013. And the turnover that's gone from $164 million in 2012 to $1.9 billion in 2013. I mean, those, those numbers are just staggering. It, it, they are they are staggering, and, and frankly, uh, you know, I'm not an encyclopedia of these things, but I can't think of any company that's done that. So that that those numbers are absolutely phenomenal, um, and they will also, in in all likelihood, uh, form the basis of a very high valuation, which will allow the uh, the insiders and the people who are the biggest shareholders to uh, cash out at a at a huge premium. The interesting thing to me will be. Uh, how the owners of this company are able to, how much of their cash they can get out uh, and how much they have to hold on to for, for a long time, uh, praying that it doesn't go down after the first earnings report. Um, so that'll be the interesting thing about this company. You know, is it a long-term uh, company that's going to keep growing at ridiculously high levels? Can it uh, come up with a new a game that is as popular or does it just kind of recede into uh, you know, into the the shadows because it can't reinvent uh, and come up with a new game. That's the interesting question with that one. Yeah, really interesting. And they did address that risk of growth as well as the fact that their revenue is tied up entirely, almost uh, something like you know, I think it's in the ninety percent in uh, one game. Have you have you played Candy Crush at all? I have not. No, I have not. No so I. I, I'm not. I'm not familiar with it. But um, I uh, obviously a lot of people love it. So. Um, you know, there's no question that this is a very popular product. But um, if you are an investor, um, you know, you, you take you, you're, the risk of buying the stock is that, uh, as I said, they don't they don't come up with a, another game that's as popular that can allow it to keep growing that much. Uh, but there's a chance that they will, and if they do, then uh, the investors will will profit from that. But um, if I if I were forced to make a decision, which I guess I sort of am. Um, not much of not very painful decision, but I think I'll just stay away from it because I think the odds are better that they won't be able to have a repeat. Well, Peter, let's let's talk about some of the content. And you you wrote a great article which is available on your blog called "Stocks in 2014: More for Gazi," and and you reference some of the Wolf of Wall Street um, um, scenes. Um, let's talk about you know the last year and the upcoming year. What's what's in um, store? Um, you, you note that. Um, um, that that this interestingly the stock market is is far more loosely coupled with the growth of the economy than people actually think. And you give two interesting examples um, about uh, in 2009 and then the last year where um, the, the the stock markets actually have not correlated much at all with the growth of the U.S. economy at least. No, I mean this this is the thing um, that I always find. Uh, like it's it's everybody sees it, but nobody notice doesn't seem to notice it, or nobody doesn't see, nobody seems to care. But I mean, if you listen to people try to explain why stocks went up and down every day, um, I always listen for it, and I always think to myself, this is totally wrong. They don't know what they're talking about. They're just making it up because you know they say, well, the economy, you know, the numbers uh, in, in the economic report were this or that, and basically there's just so many numbers coming out every day that if if it's down they'll come up with some bad number that they use as an explanation if it's good they'll come up with some good number there's no correlation at all between the economy which has been growing around you know 2% uh, a year uh, maybe producing uh, 80,000 jobs a month uh under uh president obama since 2009 
uh, during that time, the, the stock market has risen at an average of uh, 22.5% a year, which is the best performance under any president in the last 70 years. Uh, under Bill Clinton, the economy was growing at 4% and generating 230,000 jobs a month. And, and under him, the S&P 500 was the second best performance, and it was a relatively paltry 70% increase a year. So um, the idea that the economy and, and job creation has anything to do with the stock market, as far as I'm concerned, is total baloney. And if you really want to understand why stocks are going up and down, you have to know um, who's buying and, and why and who's selling and why. Uh, and and no, those people aren't required to disclose that information. But the big sellers and the big buyers, the ones that are moving the shares up and down, and the reasons why they're making those decisions are not public information. So I, I wish they would just be you know honest about that instead of you know harping. You know I guess you wouldn't have CNBC if 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 you if if you actually had to tell the truth about why stocks go up and down because they spend all day long harping on stuff that doesn't matter. Do you not think, I mean, there's the argument that there's so much liquidity and there's so much information available that it's, you, you know, that that everything is genuinely factored. All factors are, 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 are um, you know, discounted into the price that it is reflecting some genuine value as opposed to sentiments and vested interests. Well, the you know, the other interesting piece of it is that um, why are there hedge funds? You know, why does anybody pay somebody... Uh, you know, two percent of the assets under management and twenty percent of the profits. Since uh, hedge funds earned about six percent last year, and the stock market was up thirty-two uh, percent, uh, and you know that's where I was, you know, putting a lot of my money was in an S and P five hundred index fund that paid no fees and had very low expenses. Why would you pay somebody much higher fees uh, and very high expenses for? pathetic 6% returns. I mean, it just that's another thing that makes absolutely no sense. So the, the, the premise of your comment was that, you know, all the information about stocks is out there, uh, and I, I agree with that, and therefore, why would you pay somebody to be a stock picker when they, when they can't beat the market? And when, when you're paying them so much for such vast underperformance, why is there $2 trillion in that industry? I cannot understand why people are investing there. And index funds are one of the great secrets. I, I, some of the young staff here at Managed Flutter, I'm always encouraging them um, to find some, some index funds that are, have strong exposure to tech you know, on the, the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange and just try and squirrel away as much money as you can into the index funds. They're cheap. You get exposure to a nice diverse range. And, and over the long term, you should get between 8 and 10% on that. Well, you know, I've, I've been investing in, um, in these index funds, S&P 500 index funds, and I was just looking at my account, and uh, the average increase was 75%. Um, so, you know, that, that seems pretty good to me considering that I, I feel as though uh, I'm not really paying a lot of expenses for that. So just matching the S&P 500 doesn't require a lot of intelligence. It's a computer that matches it up, and it, it's been doing really well. And, you know, as far as 2014, I, I, I'm feeling as though uh, the factors pushing the market up are still there. And uh, there, there's a little bit of nervousness about, Turkish, the Turkish lira earlier in the year. I don't know if that was, that was probably more baloney. That was just a smokescreen for people who were taking their profits maybe uh, after having a good year in, in, in 2013. I don't know why it went down, but it seems to be doing very nicely uh, now. And, uh, of course, the, the S&P 500, at the moment, it's sitting around, what, a PE of 20 
which is above the, the long-term average of around 15. But if anyone's worried about a crash, uh, you, you make a note in your article that be before the pre-2000 and pre-2008, um, the PE was 44 and six, 67. Just to explain briefly to a listener, if the PE is the, the price-earnings ratio, it's, it's how expensive, um, relatively speaking, companies or the index um, is. Yes, um, there's a there's a nice uh, chart that people can find uh, on the internet that shows uh, the price earnings ratio of stocks going back to uh, 1871. And um, it, if you look at it, it's kind of interesting um, to see what the PEs were right before um, the market crashes in 2000 2008. They were 44 in 2000 and 67 in 2008. Um, now you know you you said they were at 20. Um, when I looked at it, it was a little below that, but still uh, not too not too bad. But yeah, the price earnings ratio is basically just the price uh, of of a stock divided by its earnings per share. And uh, it, you know theoretically, um, there's some sort of an average which you mentioned, which I think uh, Robert Schiller, who's uh, won a Nobel Prize last year, um, said is the, the mean is about 15 and a half, uh, and I said it was at 20. Uh, back uh, a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago, when I wrote this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically, um, it's it's above the that average, but it's nowhere near where it was uh, in 2000, 2008, where which pre and preceded by a few weeks the uh, the collapse of the stock market. Let's talk briefly about Twitter and let's talk briefly about Facebook. Now, Facebook, they both came out with their numbers a couple of week, weeks ago. Facebook numbers were all north and they, um, the stock price held nicely and has been inching forward. The interesting one was Twitter where their user numbers have flattened. Um, some of their, their revenues um, have been up. They're still not making a profit, but interestingly, their their share price has has held. There was, um, it did come back a little bit, but it's definitely hasn't come back as much as you 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 would have thought, um, considering that some of the metrics are not pointing in the right way. Well, you know, this this gets to a couple things. First of all, um, I I think uh, Twitter is losing so much money. It's it still hasn't figured out a business model. I remember when. Facebook went public uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, it was called the Face Plant uh, because it, it went out, it went public, and it immediately went down. Um, and I remember back uh, when it came out, I was saying, you know, this is this is not going to stick around much unless they can figure out a way of making money off of people moving to mobile, um, which was something that I remember they mentioned in their prospectus. And they, and to their credit, I think they figured it out. Um, and so they took a very hard problem and they solved it. Um, and I think it's really helping their numbers tremendously. I, mean, I still think they have uh, problems because I, I still think that um, you know they're not growing as fast as they were before. And you know young people are probably getting sick of Facebook and doing something else. There's still a lot of you know parents and grandparents who are using it now. But in any case, um, Twitter, on the other hand, I don't think has ever figured out a business model. I mean, it's if, what I mean by that is that they need to figure out a way of making a profit. I mean, they, they're capable of making some sales, but still losing hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, I think that um, as far as I'm concerned, they shouldn't have gone public. Um, but they, they did go public, and they could go public because everybody knows what Twitter is. So uh, the average investor is looking and saying, oh, I can buy shares of Twitter. Wow. So there's a lot of dumb money out there that's buying a company that has negative cash flow, losing money, uh, hasn't figured out how to monetize the attention it's got. And I guess, 
you know, maybe Twitter is also becoming something that is becoming a little bit boring and not as, you know, exciting as it was before, and people are just kind of maybe losing interest a little bit. So, you know, I think that um, these things uh, can get hot for a while, and then, you know, after a while, the, the novelty wears off, and uh, they still, they, you know, they, they still have a lot of people using it, but it's not generating enough uh, of a business model, enough revenues to offset the costs. And, uh, you know, I would not, there's no reason to invest in the stock at this point, as far as I can tell. Now, interestingly, Google has had a very strong year last year. The stock did terrifically well. Um, they finally are splitting their shares in April, I believe. They having a two-for-one stock split? Yes. Now, uh, yeah, I think. Sorry, continue. No, I was, I was going to ask you what your question is. I was just going to say, um, um, apparently there has been some controversy that um, um, around the investors are, are, are concerned because there's a they're instituting a two-tier voting structure or three-tier voting structure. I mean, your general thoughts on the stock split? Is it a good time? Uh, you know, it's what over a thousand dollars now. It will come down to five hundred dollars. Is it a good time uh, um, for people that have been wanting to get into Google? Do you think it's a good time for them to to buy a few Google shares? Well, I think that's why they're doing it. I mean, I think that they'll they'll broaden their investor base because there's plenty of people who will say, "Well, I'm not going to buy it because it's trading at $1,200 a share." I think there's it's still at 500 or 600. It's still you know very expensive stock, um, but I think it will you know open it up to some investors who will look at it as somehow cheaper than there. But you know, obviously, it's basically the same price because they've they've just uh, you know they just doubled the uh, the number of shares, so you know each share is worth half of what it was before. So you know people kind of are, are suckers. I mean that's what this whole Fugazi thing is that I was writing about in my in my blog post was. If you go see that movie Wolf of, of Wall Street, I mean basically uh, it, 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 it investors um, are are suckers and they get taken advantage of for for these um, these sort of mental tricks. Um, it's like you know somebody will buy. A, Buy something for ninety nine cents, but a dollar, you know, is too expensive. These these little mental games that that uh, sellers of stocks can play that get people to buy. That splitting stocks is one of them. Um, you know, and I and I think the issue of who's controlling the company. You know, I'm pretty sure that uh, it'd be very difficult to take over Google. Um, it's just like it'd be very difficult to take over Facebook because Mark Zuckerberg has a class of shares that gives him control of something like fifty eight percent of the of the voting stock. So. Uh, you know, these people are not going to be dislodged from their companies by uh, raiders like Carl Icahn, who's been trying to get Apple to disgorge a whole bunch of cash into his pocket. Um, so, um, you know, that's why they're doing it. And, you know, frankly, I think that if you look at, at both Facebook and Google, I think the people who are running it right now are exceptionally capable people, and you, you kind of you, you wouldn't want them to go away. Um, so uh, I would say the fact that there is sort of uh, a voting, they have voting control and, you know, the, the shares that they would, they'd be selling do not have that kind of control um, is not such a big deal. It would be worse if, um, you know, they were terrible managers and they were sort of entrenched and you couldn't get them out of there. Then, then it would be a different matter. Um Briefly, Peter, do you know much about, I haven't been tracking it closely, but um, I have read some reports saying eBay is currently, uh, has some great un, um, value that, that the market's not factoring in. There's a little bit of a mismatch there, and it's a good buy. Yeah, I mean, if you, I like to look, look use something called the, 
the peg ratio, the price earnings to growth ratio. So I look at the price earnings of the company, which is 25, and then I look at the earnings growth. Um, so in this case, the earnings growth um, for um, for uh, eBay for next year is about 14. So I would say the price earnings to growth ratio is a little under two, and I think a stock is cheap when the price earnings to growth ratio is uh, one or below. So it's a long-winded way of saying that I think the stock is is expensive. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know it, it is showing a little bit of earnings growth in that in 2014 earnings are supposed to grow about nine uh, percent, and in 2015 they're supposed to grow about 14 percent, which is you know just kind of ho hum as far as I'm concerned, but it is an improvement. And uh Peter, Bitcoin, um, do you have any strong opinions on Bitcoin? I mean, everyone's chiming in on, on the Bitcoin debate, the platform versus the currency versus the volatility or versus the fact that it's going to rip apart sort of the sovereignty of countries versus the fact it's the future. Um, you have any strong opinions? Uh, yes. Uh, I hate to talk about it because any media attention kind of drives up the price and draws in more people. <laughs> Um, so I, I'm sort of ideally I would never have to talk about it at all. But um, now that I am talking about it, um, one thing that I will say is that um, sovereign governments will never allow Bitcoin to be used unless they can identify uh, who is who is buying and who is selling each one. Um, so it kind of defeats the purpose of Bitcoin, which is to be free of government uh, intrusion, so they can use it for stuff like buying you know arms and illegal drugs and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, but one thing that I do think is possible is that um, some governments will decide that maybe they don't need to be printing currency, and they can develop their own, you know, electronic currency that's Bitcoin-like, but but it's controlled by the government. That I could see that as happening uh, if governments can figure out how to do it, uh, with but and solve the technical problems, which I'm a little skeptical about because. When I look at all these big institutions that are trying to protect their security, what I see is sort of an arms race uh, where uh, you know somebody figures out a solution to uh, hackers and then the hackers figure out a way around it. And so I don't think the government should be playing that kind of game with the, with the, uh, the national currency. So I would say that uh, it's probably not going to happen because I just don't think I have confidence in their ability to secure it. And you look at all the times that the uh, Bitcoin has been hacked into, um, and people have stolen Bitcoins, and, and the, it's, just, it's just very insecure. And it, I, I, would, I would have to imagine that um, if, if they can't figure out how to solve these technical problems, that the government would not be able to solve them. You know, all these big companies are getting hacked into, uh, they've got tons of money. They can't figure out how to solve these problems. I don't think that a government should make its currency vulnerable to that kind of hacking. So I think ultimately it will not. It will be a non-starter. Fascinating. On that note, we're going to leave it. Peter Cohen, um, who's the author of Hungry Startup Strategy and a blogger on Forbes, um, on the Forbes website. Really appreciate your time. I'd love to check in uh, in six months or so and we'll have a bit of market review and see, uh, see where everything's at. I'd be happy to do it. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by ManageFlitter. With ManageFlitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back. Find new people to follow. Track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2
at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free Budgie account. Some interesting points about the stock market being coupled to economic growth, not being coupled to economic growth, index funds. Um, it's, um, it's, it's a bit of a wild west, um, the, the, the whole stock market. James, have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, actually, yeah, I did. I saw it, um, saw it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, made me uh, want to become an accountant, become a or a stockbroker. Stockbroker. Yeah. Have you seen it? I haven't yet. I haven't had a. I haven't had a chance to see it. I've I've heard it's a, a pretty impressive movie. Yeah, yeah, it's good fun. It's good fun. It's not. Um, it's not going to change your life, but it's. Um, yeah, no, it's it's good fun. I mean, Peter. Peter makes some interesting points. I mean, it's interesting. He hadn't heard of WhatsApp. Um, which was, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, a surprising number of, uh, fairly in, yeah, fairly typical in in the, the states and and Australia. It's it's, um, but yeah, in terms of the Twitter share price and the and, and the Facebook share price, I mean, he's um, he makes an interesting point in his article, which we'll link to on the blog about, um, you know, the stock markets being driven by very different things to to real economic progress. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's all it's all a bit complicated for me. I'm always a bit wary of the stock market. <laughs> I, I used to I used to play around with it a little bit, but um, I don't know. It always seems a bit a little bit too much like gambling for me. Well, I think you know, and I mentioned this in the interview with him. I think I think what's what's very underrated are index funds, you know, mm. and. Um, and they're not sexy, and they, you know, you don't get these stellar returns of, you know, you know, like Candy Crush that's had a thousand percent increase, and WhatsApp return for Sequoia Capital of whatever, you know. But on average, Nasdaq has returned between nine and ten percent a year um, as the index, the main index. And if you buy the index or one of these index funds. They're very cheap. There's no fancy, you know, admin costs. And over the long term, um, you're getting about ten percent on your money, which is which is pretty good. Yeah, no, that does sound like a good idea actually. When I when I heard that, I was thinking I should probably go and take a look at those in- index funds again because <laughs> they definitely do seem like good investments. Much better than holding your money in the bank. Much better than holding the money in the bank. And the only the only challenge with index funds like with any shares is when there's a bad year or a bad time don't sell you know mm. you have the faith i mean you look and it and and just keep a graph of of the index over the last 100 years and see how it is up and to the right and it dips down every now and then sometimes a lot like in 2000 or you know in in, in the other crashes i think 87 but it's always up and to the right so just stick in there people panic and they sell it tend to sell at the wrong times and tend to buy at the wrong times um it's just human nature and it's hard to fight that psychology but index funds you can get tech index funds um that you know nasdaq tech index funds or or tech index funds that are exposed to tech across new york stock exchange and nasdaq you can get some more broader index funds but um i think especially as as a young person where you've got time on your side, just, just drop whatever you can into these index funds. And the way they work is you, you buy them like normal shares. So they're listed mm. on the exchange themselves and you just buy them like normal shares. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. 
So yeah, actually, um, I do. I do. I do remember reading a bit about them, but yeah, I think I found them too boring when I when I, I was see. originally playing around with stocks. So that's that's my problem. <laughs> that and that's probably what most people. You know, that's exactly the issue that most people have. They they are very boring. You know, they yep. are that nothing dramatically really ever happens with it. So. And people people like the dream of putting in a buck and and getting a hundred back. Yeah, yeah. No, they they just quietly sit there and make money, which is probably what you really want. But um, but um, yeah, no. The 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 idea of sort of being able to double your money in in a week or whatever is just too appealing sometimes to go for the the really risky bets. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. But uh, I think the key is to put it in and forget about it. That's always the key. And then in five, ten. 20 years um, you can look at it and it's grown nicely and you can pay off your kids education or mortgage or whatever it is and um, you can even you know leverage a little bit you can margin loan so if you you know whatever if you put in to say five thousand dollars you there are facilities where you can borrow some money five hundred or a thousand dollars to leverage yourself a little bit into it and it's you know a lot of people say you know in property you can leverage and stocks it's harder to leverage well you can leverage in stocks but anyway i'm not a financial advisor i am not licensed to give financial advice so um don't this is just uh you know don't 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 risk your don't, life don't put your life savings <laughs> in <the> index funds <laughs> exactly so um um james did you listen to the podcast we did with chelsea you uh, you have stiff competition there yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And no, I think I uh, definitely got some strong competition there. I'm a little bit worried, actually. Hopefully, uh, hopefully my seat's not going to get taken. <laughs> well, um, and if you're wondering what we're talking about in episode 34, which is the previous episode, which you can listen to on the itsamonkey.com pod, uh, site, we had Chelsea Plowright, who's uh, um, is a community manager, managed Flitter, and content person, and she's just a general everything. And um, she joined me for the podcast. She was very, she was very nervous. And uh, I, I, a few days later, I even asked her, um, "What does your boyfriend think of the podcast?" And she was like, "Oh, I haven't sent it to him." I was like, "Really?" So, uh, but she did a fantastic job, and um, it's it's always nice getting a mix of people. So uh, who knows? You, you know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. There's she's she's snapping at your heels. Maybe maybe Chelsea and I will do one. <laughs> ah, that's, that, that's lateral thinking. I'm actually I'm actually going to um, Chelsea. I'm actually going to um, bring her in for a moment. I'm I'm chatting to James on the podcast, oh, okay. and he said that um, he's thinking that you and him, you and him should do a podcast. Just just us two. Yeah, we're going to replace Kevin. <laughs> okay, all right. So, what will we chat about, James? <laughs> um, I don't know. Where are we <laughs> My point exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, 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 maybe us three can do it. We just got to organize logistically how we do that. But uh, three of us having a banter could work and, and be fun sometimes. Look, if I get three tweets from uh, the community saying yes, it's a good idea, I'll jump on in. Oh, that's dangerous. <laughs> Okay, if if you if if you get three tweets either to uh, manage Flutter or Monkey Podcast or um, your personal account saying that they want you back, we'll we'll drag you back on the podcast. All right, deal. But I don't know if anyone I don't know if anyone listens this far in the podcast. We're nearly an hour into the podcast. Oh, wow. um, I don't know if anyone's actually even listening to this podcast. 
<laughs> the stakes are high. <laughs> the stakes are high. Thanks, Chelsea. James, thanks for joining us on um, episode 35. We will catch you um, in two weeks. Um, you can follow myself on Twitter at KE underscore GA. You can follow James on Twitter at ZEMAJ. James, you haven't been active on Twitter much, ironically. No, I know. I really could have started tweeting some more. I actually use Facebook more these days. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, it's uh it's the shifting sands of social media but um we'll catch up with you in two weeks and um maybe by that stage twitter would have bought us for 60 billion dollars i mean anything's possible in this world right (laughs) let's hope so (laughs) (laughs) okay thanks for listening everyone Uh, please tweet us please email us this is kevin and james and it's a monkey podcast we'll catch you next time have a good one